Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Today, I am so excited to talk to Claire. She is going to tell us all about her experiences um, initially getting diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and a, a really major career change she made due to her diagnosis and her experiences with pregnancy, childbirth, postpartum, and parenting with rheumatoid arthritis. She'll also talk about fatigue and give us some really, really great insights for communication with providers and just living life with arthritis. She keeps it real. Okay, let's get started. Hi, my name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis. I've lived with rheumatoid arthritis for 17 years, and I'm also a mom, teacher, and occupational therapist. I'm so excited to share my tricks for managing the ups and downs of life with arthritis. Everything from kitchen life hacks to how to respond when people say you don't look sick, stress, work, sex, anxiety, fatigue, pregnancy, and parenting with chronic illness. No topic will be off limits here. I'll also talk to other patients and share their stories and advice. Think of this as your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. My name is Claire. I am 34 years old and I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis at 23. All right. And how I came to my diagnosis was similar to, I think, the story of many in that it was uh, a journey <laughs> and um, one that uh, a diagnosis was not um, arrived at quickly or easily. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, at the time when I was 23, I had um, just returned from six months living in Madagascar. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so that's not something here every day. Mm -hmm. um, and when, when I came back, 
Um, I was having some gastrointestinal issues. <laughs> Went to see a doctor. Not uncommon for um, living abroad. Uh, I was uh, diagnosed with Giardia and given a strong course of antibiotics, right. um, which I dutifully took. Uh, and immediately following, I started to experience some swelling in my left knee um, that quickly grew quite significant, um, mm -hmm. nearly uh, the size of a cantaloupe. My left knee became enormously large, oh um, hot, red, um, impossible to move. Um, it was wow. very shocking. Um, and so, I don't know if you've ever heard that um, adage about like, when you hear hoofbeats, yeah. think horses, not zebras. Yeah. Um, but when you just come back from Madagascar, people are thinking communicable exotic disease. Mm -hmm. um, rheumatoid arthritis does not run in my family, though mm -hmm. all the women in my family have Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Oh, okay. So my mother, my sister, my aunt, my grandmother. Um, and that's also an autoimmune disease. Which is also an oh, autoimmune wow. disease, correct. And um, but, but no joint issues. So... Oh, okay. Um, and I was only being affected in that one joint initially. Wow. And so I had joint fluid aspirated and cultured for every sort of strange exotic disease yeah. I could <laughs> and surely must have because of, of where I had just been. Right. Um, which, of course, all came back negative. Um, then the swelling went away and it, it sort of passed for a few months where... I wasn't pursuing it as anything because the the uh, acute situation had dissipated and there were no additional symptoms. Um, but then I started to experience some pain and stiffness in my hands. Both hands. So, uh, yeah. And went to my GP um, because, again, I had no inkling that this was an autoimmune condition right. and um, went several times um, trying to repeat and describe what it was that I was feeling and um, did not have a good experience, did mm. not feel like I was being listened to. It wasn't until I think the third or fourth time that I had gone back to my mm -hmm. GP um, that she even touched my hands to examine them. <laughs> wow. um, at which point I broke down in tears because I was... Um, so grateful that she was actually sort of taking my pain seriously right. because I no longer had a knee the size of the cantaloupe. It was no longer um, visible, but I was, I was experiencing significant pain and stiffness. And at that point, I was finally referred to uh, a rheumatologist and had a very hard time being believed. That yes. was the hardest part. Being some... the. <laughs> I'm guessing the primary care, maybe doctor, is the one. And did you ever go back to her and tell her about no. so that That's a passion of mine, and I, I hope that part of what I can do at some point is start a campaign where we go back pure, purely for education. Hmm. Because if everyone's not, if we're all not telling the people that didn't believe us what actually was true, they're not learning either, right? Yeah. So, but yeah, I don't even have. It was like 15 years ago for me, so I don't even know some of their names anymore. I'm like, block them out of my memory. Yeah. But I was just curious because I, I do think that they need to know if they're telling people that, oh, you're just stressed or, oh, you need to relax. And you actually did have a legitimate diagnosis. Then, yeah. You know? No, I, I would kind of love that. I don't know yeah. that I'd be able to filter Ooh, out my... film it! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I'd be able to filter out my expletives. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> I'd have a few choice words, but and so I I got in to see the rheumatologist. He took uh, a cursory glance at my uh, blood work, had me take off my shoes and socks, uh, grab my feet. I screamed and hit the ceiling basically oh in gosh. in pain, and he you know that was it. He said, "So you have rheumatoid arthritis. We're going to get you on you know da 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 da," and and so began the formal journey. Um, and how and how long did it take between when you arrived home from Madagascar and when you got the d- definitive diagnosis of RA? Do you remember? Six, six months, I think it oh, okay. was. Okay. Yeah. So not too long from yeah. what I've heard from a lot of stories, but it was because I had come home and hadn't yet started back in school again. Mm. It was all I was doing. I had all the time in the world to get yeah, to the yeah. right diagnosis. And so it felt like a lot longer because no, the mean, quantity of doctor's appointments in that short period of time was a lot. Did you lot. did you delay going back to school because of it? A little bit, okay. yeah. Oh, um, wow. There were other factors. Um, I had just moved again across country, across right. or across um, the continents, and then across country. So I I was landing in a new city for other reasons. So um, it wasn't all just because of uh, the medical difficulties I was experiencing, but certainly, yeah, it contributed. And so I had all the time to deal with it Mm -hmm. and it still wasn't getting results. I will say I have a lot of feelings about the diagnosis process and how that all went, even getting to the end of the road where I had, you know, the formal diagnosis that I could, you know, carry with me. there was nothing shared with me at that time about really what that meant and how it was a chronic illness and that yeah. these medicines they were prescribing were going to be with me forever, you know, or at least yes. for the foreseeable yes. future. And these are the things that are going to be different about your life. That There was none of that. Um, so I had to process and come to all of that realization mm-hmm. on my own. And um, that was emotionally very difficult. Aside from all the, you know, physical changes then that were coming from my symptoms, which then became bilateral and and started to move through more of my joints. Um, But, you know, all of that coupled with the emotional journey of going um, through the processing of getting a chronic uh, illness diagnosis was a whole separate thing. How long do you think it took you to understand that it was a chronic illness? Because I, I think it was between five and ten years that it, it actually hit me. I, I didn't really get it at first. But would you say it took you a long... It sounded like it took a little while. Maybe not five yeah. years. Yeah, no, <laughs> it took a long time. And I, I'm still processing, for yeah. sure. Like, yeah. there, there are yeah. things that, um, you know, still, still come, you know across your path that you realize that are different now because of, of, of your diagnosis. Um, but some of it hit me pretty, pretty immediately mm-hmm. because, um, the life I had been leading prior to that doing field work in a remote rainforest of Madagascar right, right. was no longer in the cards. It had been my, um, if not lifelong dream, a dream for many years to um, after finishing my bachelor's degree, I wanted to go into the Peace Corps and work in international development oh and yeah. and live abroad in these um, remote sites. Right. Um, and I very quickly discovered because I went immediately, almost immediately, to investigate. Is rheumatoid arthritis is a exclusion uh, a condition that excludes you from service in the Peace Corps? Wow! Because I mean. 
because of the uh, health concerns about being immunocompromised, right. the necessity of having refrigerated medica- medications in most cases. So it's it's understandable, but that was wow. that was immediate and pretty intense having that sort of rug pulled out from underneath me. You know, you have a small daughter who's <laughs> 17 months old, and what were your experiences having rheumatoid arthritis and you know, family planning, pregnancy? Yeah. Yeah. It was a really long journey that actually formally started with, and I'm going to do my little plug here, um, with this lovely book (laughs) by Susie Edward May. She's an Australian, so I don't know if American audiences are going to even recognize this book, but um, it's called Arthritis, Pregnancy, and the Path to Parenthood. Um, And I ordered it directly from the author. Um, Gosh, like five years ago. So um, well before we were ever really trying to conceive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could not get through a single chapter without bawling my eyes out oh. because it spoke directly to so much of the um, emotional journey that the path to parenthood as someone with arthritis um, is or, and was for mm-hmm. me with a lot of it just being a lot of fear and self-doubt about this is a genetic condition. Mm -hmm. Am I even making a responsible choice by wanting to have a biological child? Mm -hmm. What is going to happen to my body during? What is going to happen to my body uh, immediately after? Am I going to be able to physically parent my child? Like these huge unknowns um, and, and what that does to your psyche as someone, you know, who's, once you know you get pregnant, very hormonal. Yeah, if you had prednisone, gosh. Yes, yeah. you're pregnant. That prednisone and yeah, really emotional prednisone. I'm like this is the best day ever. This is the worst day ever. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it was. Um, it was a very um, intentional decision when we we mm-hmm. decided to try to conceive because of all these considerations that both my husband and I had been through these questions together about like what will happen if this what Mm -hmm. will happen if that pregnancy itself was blissful after I got through my uh first trimester where I was weaning off medications that that was awful but once my uh immune system decided to cooperate it was heaven on earth (laughs) being pregnant was amazing and and from an emotional perspective, for me as someone who had been combating my body mm-hmm. for nearly a decade, mm-hmm. to have that my like faith in my own physical self right. restored, that like right. you know what I, I am not same. yeah I am not broken. Look at me, I'm big and bringing this human into the world. Like I, it was so empowering for me. Even just getting pregnant, we got pregnant on the first try, and I was like what yeah like, my body doesn't usually cooperate <laughs> like I was honestly that was my first thought I was like that's not right that, that's not right because this is going to be have to be a struggle like it has to be because everything else has been a struggle but, yeah 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 so just watching your body work is so powerful yeah but I took nothing for granted either yes. because I was always waiting for the other shoe to drop and so I um was very deliberate in um, laying out our birth plan as far as where I wanted to be physically Mm -hmm. and who would be with us. So I found an amazing midwife and birth center Mm -hmm. located really nearby our home. 
um, a doula to work with uh, us during labor who was aware of my physical limitations and could help me make um, specific modifications to different Mm -hmm. birthing positions that I like might not be able to do physically like uh, so it was it was and it went perfectly and my symptoms didn't return for at least I think it was four months after she was born and they they came back on slowly so that was good I was Mm -hmm. you know ready for a you know hitting uh, being hit by a Mack truck but that that never happened it was it was a slow return of my symptoms and um it's been really great to work with my rheumatologist to um continue to treat my RA while still achieving my um goals for breastfeeding Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um and planning future pregnancies (laughs) so was that hard with medications I've heard that there's a lot of confusion around which medications you can be on while breastfeeding? We were able to talk about Simsia, which is what mm-hmm. I'm what I'm on now, and what the um, research shows relative to the size of the molecule in, mm-hmm. um, and how it might be passed through breast milk and digested, and we feel comfortable. Um, right. Continuing, and we um, I've shared this information, of course, with Edie's pediatrician Mm -hmm. and so everybody's in on it and everybody's okay with it agreeing Mm -hmm. that any risks which there are none that we can point to but are far outweighed by um, the benefits the physical challenges now as she gets older are increasing so we're working on that a bit but what's great as she gets heavier and more wily um, she also understands language more and can be uh counted on to cooperate a bit <laughs> a bit more yeah as I say I remember 18 months being about the peak of the difficulty for me in terms of that like they're they're don't quite have any self-control yet and the language is still emerging so but by 24 months they oftentimes can you know, I don't follow directions a little better. Maybe yeah. I'm optimistic. But yeah. yeah. So you're right. <laughs> not it's always. Okay. There's definitely not an always yeah. with a toddler. But no. but yeah, so we're, we're right in that transition where she's too big for me to uh, physically force her to do anything. She's stronger than me in a lot of ways. Um, right. But she's she understands, I think, to some extent that she needs to help me oh, with certain yeah. things. Like, yeah. I mean... Of course, not like deeply understanding that, but you know, she, for example, when changing her diaper now, she understands the routine that she's going to come lay down in front of me on the floor. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even ask her. She, wow. uh, if she sees me sit down with the diaper, she shuffles over and lays down. So, do you, um, like, do you ever struggle with fears about the future, like as she's getting bigger, or are you more like living in the moment? Because that was one of my hard things. Was like, I kept being like, what am I going to do when this happens? And what am I going to do? Yeah, I. those are the, the thoughts that come when you're lying in bed at night. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, and they definitely do. Um, but I'm trying not to focus on them as much yeah. because every sign that I have right now is pointing towards those fears not coming to pass mm. because she is such a dear soul right she's now so sweet no she is amazing yeah. and so she will be forever and yeah, yeah. she will never be a teenager mm-hmm. and yeah. <laughs> she will be you know a blissful child her whole life yeah well no my, my therapist helped me a lot with that because she she helped show me that like 
I have all this energy devoted to all these future worries, but like in the reality, only one of those is even going to happen, and it's probably not even the one that like I'm thinking about. So it's a lot of wasted <laughs> yeah. energy. Anything else you want to share with maybe audience members, all my audience members that don't, don't exist currently, but um, <laughs> about you know um, advice for people who might be on the fence about whether or not to have a child, or um, people who are pregnant who are like, oh my gosh. People with rheumatoid arthritis who are pregnant who are like, what's about to happen? Yeah, I mean, I would love to say, you know, it's all going to be fine, right? Because, But you can't. No, no. And um, I don't think being Pollyanna about it helps anybody. But what I can say is whatever it is, you can get through it. Mm-hmm. And it rarely is as bad as you think it's going to be. And it'll be, it, the the things that are bad will be different than things than, totally. you, than you thought. So yeah, don't spend time worrying about the future. Relish in the moment you have now. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, don't let fear guide your decision making. Right. If if you have medical reasons that you can't pursue um, uh, having a biological child, yes. there's all I'm sorts of alternatives, yeah. um, ways to have a family. Or mm-hmm. And not having a family is perfectly fine, too. I know a lot of people, or there's a societal or family pressure yes. that a, a successful adult life looks one way. But it doesn't. And just so, I, that's what I would say to people is, you know, make sure the decisions you're making are for your happiness, not for your fear, and not for anybody else. That's, that is so great. And, you know, family, the word family, you know, used to look a certain way to me. You know, I always thought it would be I'd have two kids and I would have a certain, you know, and now as my my physical health is has gone in directions I didn't really foresee, like, I'm starting to think of family as different, you know, like that, you know, being an aunt is really important to me, you know, and, um, you know, being able to take care of, obviously, take care of the child I have is, is super important and maybe having pets and things that I, before, again, doesn't, it's not necessarily going to look the way that I originally planned it, but it could be, um, it could be just as good, you know, long term. So I wanted to ask a little bit about the mental health aspect for you of managing a chronic illness. And, you know, with your diagnosis story, we talked about how there's different stages of acceptance. But have you experienced any mental health challenges like anxiety or depression as a result? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And I really appreciate you asking because, right, big problem with people seeking help is the stigma associated with um, talking about mental health and um, it's been a huge part of my RA journey mm-hmm. um, is both the physical uh, management of my symptoms as well as um, what I liken it to more for me personally is grief, is the process yes. processing similar to any other sort of loss. Right. Because I had, as a, you know, at the time being diagnosed as a, in my early 20s, I had a vision that mm-hmm. I was, you know, dead set on executing and I had been, you know, lining up all my um, necessary accomplishments to achieve said goal and then just had it, um, I, I said before, well, the rug pulled out from under me. Right, and your goal was to go to the Peace Corps and... Right, and, yeah. and lead this, you know, jet-setting international global lifestyle um, yeah. that um, just is no longer feasible. One, I don't have the energy Two, right. but just the physical limitations that I could not 
hike for two days into、mm-hmm. the forest or、um, be away from a refrigerator, <laughs> or, right? For your medications, be, yes, and not for food, but also food. But yeah, <laughs> also food, always also food.、Uh, <laughs> but、um, yeah, also being immunocompromised in、uh, compromising situations. So I mean, I logically know all the reasons why that this cannot be. But that still doesn't make it sting any less. Right. But what? Where I've come to now through significant professional help. Yes. That's the important part. I think to say I did not do this on my own.、Yeah. I have an incredible therapist.、Um, so great. I have been able to realize that how unhelpful it is for me to focus on what could have been that can no longer be,、mm-hmm. but. Um, think about how, what were the real outcomes I was trying to achieve with that vision,、mm-hmm. and how I could still get to that end game differently. And so、right. we talked about this earlier, but in my choice of career,、mm-hmm. in focusing on nonprofit administration, I'm still saving the world from、yeah. behind a desk,、yeah. and that's you know. Okay, and can be more than okay. Can be amazing, you know.、Right. Just look at. I mean, for we're here in Seattle. Look at Bill and Melinda Gates, right? right. They're right. they've sat behind desks and changed the world, and you know that's that's part of my process has been working through that.、Uh, the the grief still comes up. I mean, it's not like it's totally gone. It it I I'm faced with it any time. Um, my husband, for example, is incredibly energetic and physically、yeah. active, which I've mentioned, and he will want to try a new sport.、Yeah. Like, guess I'm sitting in the car. You know, <laughs> 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 I am an expert、uh, ski lodge bunny. Though, yeah, yeah, by yeah. the way, like, <laughs> which is for you for those of you in hotter climates. Can you explain what that means? A lodge bunny, yes. <laughs> <laughs> My husband likes to downhill ski.、Um, I have tried. It's really not great for my knees. It does involve a lot of、um, bending of your knees, and for an extended、yeah. period of time, I can't really do that.、Um, so I just wear really cute parkas and sit in the ski lodge and、uh, knit <laughs> and drink hot chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that's for me too. My my whole identity before I was an athlete, you know, and so I was so hardcore. I ran, I lifted weights, I was so so active, and and so yeah, I definitely get hit by those waves of grief when I see, you know, see how、uh, other people are doing the things that I imagined that I would do, you know. But but like you said, there's ways to channel that same, you know, to some degree. There's ways to. Channel that same energy into other activities, but there also sometimes is benefit to just saying, you know what, that's not in the cards for me, and like focusing on accepting that versus、uh, continuing to kind of chase after that. For for me at least. But you mentioned you have professional help. Did you have a hard time finding someone, or or how did how did you find? Uh, you know, it, she was the second person I went to,、okay. so I, it definitely wasn't a one and done shot. I the first、uh, therapist I found locally, I wanted to leave halfway through,、mm-hmm. and honestly, I should have. <laughs> I mean, it, I think on average they say to, and like I was planning on seeing three to kind of figure out which one, and then I, the first one I got super lucky. She's、yeah. just the best. And yeah, I'm like you're never allowed to move, and if you do, I'm going to use teletherapy so you can still see me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but so yeah. yeah, I mean, and the internet is a beautiful thing. There's、yeah. you know 
patient reviews. I mean, and even I I found actually, because there's a like self-selection bias for the folks who reply to reviews, of course. So you're going to get a lot of... The bimodal, like the best worst. Yeah. (laughs) So you take all that with a grain of salt. So I I like to look at just what the provider is saying about themselves. You can learn a lot about Mm -hmm. them and the way that they speak about the care that they provide to, um, yeah, increase your chances of finding a better fit rather than just like throwing a dart at a board and to pick who you're going to see. So I, yeah, I, I got pretty lucky finding someone pretty quickly and it's really great. She's fantastic. What advice do you have for people who might be newly diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis? Um, people who are like, what do I do? What does this mean? Yeah. Um, well, I think, what do I do? What do it? What does it mean? Those are exactly the right questions. Actually. Um, I would say, yeah, keep asking questions take an active role in your care. Um, Don't be afraid to get second opinions. Don't be afraid to ask for more information from your provider. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and don't be afraid to push back. Wait, what do you mean when you say things are going to look different? That's a generality. Mm-hmm. What, are yeah. you, what will look different? What you yeah, know? I, I feel like I, I wish I could go back in time and, and listen to when my provider told me about my diagnosis. I feel like I had been suffering for a couple years before I got my diagnosis, and I knew something was wrong, and I had been told by multiple specialists, you're just anxious, you're just anxious, you're type A, you need to relax, you need to stop. And I was like, literally the only thing I'm taping about right now is that I want someone to help me figure out my body, like what's wrong with it. And, and, um, and so I felt such intense validation when she gave me my diagnosis. I feel like anything else she said, I was like, mur, 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 mur. I was like, you, what I got from the conversation was, you were right, <laughs> you have a specific diagnosis, and I, I, I wanted to know, is there something you can do about it, right? And yes, there's medication for it. I'm like, anything else she said, I was like, I'm validated. I was right. And I have hope now, right? Because my symptoms fall into a medical category that then I could have addressed. But so I think one of the hard things for providers is if you're newly diagnosed, you may be so desperate for like immediate relief that you're not even potentially receptive to like this more larger set of patient education that really has to happen at some point though is like okay you may right now all you care about is getting your pain from like a nine to a six but you need to be educated on the fact that this is going to affect your family planning this is going to affect your estate planning in terms of like long-term care when you become elderly it seems like forever in the future now if you're a young person with ra but it you know these are all things you need to think about um so anyway long story short that's something that I try to figure out when's the right time like to disseminate all the information a new patient needs, right? Maybe not in the first appointment, but you also can't wait forever, right? right? So, yeah. And what do I wish that yeah. um, medical providers were aware of? I, I understand that women of childbearing age and interest may be in a minority of their patients, Mm -hmm. but our needs are complex and the science is changing regularly. And I wish that they had the interest and, and the capacity. I mean, I'm sure they're all overworked. I know about the, the shortage of rheumatologists in this country, but I wish that they had the capacity to keep abreast of these changes in the science because, um, being on nothing for mm. um, except my Plaquenil and my um, prednisone, while oh, yeah. 
the, in the initial stages of my pregnancy were extremely difficult. Yeah. Um, could not walk up and down stairs. Wow. Normally, I was having, you know, it was, it was bad. <laughs> I wouldn't have even been on prednisone if it were for the fact that I had reached out to the experts at Mother to Baby okay. for the latest research on okay. the effects of prednisone early in pregnancy and, du- and during pregnancy because um, there had been like preliminary results of uh, earlier studies had shown an increased risk of cleft palate okay. for prednisone use in the first trimester. Okay. But more recent research had disproven that. Oh. And my rheumatologist wasn't aware of that. Yeah. What I'm very happy about, though, is that she was open to it and that right. mother to baby providing me the actual peer-reviewed research that I could pass off to her, not just, right. I read on the internet that yes. it's okay, yes. but here are the peer-reviewed articles that show that it is safe. What are some, in general, tips you might have for developing a good relationship with your providers? Like It sounds like having that open communication, having them trust you that you can bring articles to them that you're not just going to bring like some random thing from the internet but it's actually yeah peer review that's probably helpful for your relationship i'm guessing but are there any other tips for other patients i learned through my initial experience with my primary care provider Mm -hmm. through my first rheumatologist that the importance of someone who is really hearing you is Mm -hmm. second to none like that is the most important thing that when you have a symptom or you have a concern that you can express it freely and know that the person on the other side is being completely receptive to what you're saying. They might yeah. not agree with whatever suggestion you might have, but that, right. but that they're actually taking in that information. And that seems like a basic thing, right? <laughs> but it is not. <laughs> no, I totally, totally agree with you. If okay. I wasn't comfortable advocating for myself, you better be sure I was bringing someone with me to my appointments who could advocate for me or to at least just provide that um, emotional support for me to feel more comfortable advocating for myself. Because a hang-up I had when I was first diagnosed is I felt felt responsible for what was happening to me. Yes, that might be a woman thing that we're conditioned maybe to feel that way. (laughs) I'm sorry. I started, I had... A, a New Year's resolution, like 2018, to just stop apologizing for my physical condition because, yes. especially to doctors, because that's literally why they're there to help you know to help you. Yes, yes. Like, I'm sorry, I'm here presenting these symptoms for you to do your job, which is to help me manage yes. them. But and if my labs looked bad, I felt like I had failed a test or something. That yes. so, as soon as I got over that, which was not easy, things became a lot uh, better for me. It was about partnering with your doctor to attack this external thing. I mean, that may be internally to your body, but not like internal to your being. Totally. <laughs> as I matured as a patient, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, yeah. and, and, and advocating for myself, um, I also became um, unapologetic about asking for second opinions and for additional um, expert resources. Mm-hmm. And that is one of my biggest regrets that I didn't do that sooner. My The inflammation in my wrists, in particular my right wrist, was really getting out of control. Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't yet um, aware of 
the other um, medical resources that might have been available to me in terms of like hand specialists and and managing that pain with proper splinting. What I didn't realize is that um, because, and I, I do sort of hold my doctors a bit accountable for this, is I didn't realize that with all this Um, chronic inflammation, the joint was getting damaged. When I finally went and saw a hand specialist, um, my um, joint was pretty much toast. I had no idea that part of the reason why I was in so much pain was because literally there was was no um, cartilage left and that it was all just like bone on bone at that point. You had never had an x-ray. Uh, I had, but it just had been, the inflammation had been so great for so long. I had had um, a cortisone injection in Mm -hmm. the wrist, not that long uh, prior, but it just um, degraded pretty darn quickly and was undergoing an auto fusion. So what that means is it was fusing itself. I didn't have to have surgery, but I did have to wear this for custom. <laughs> this custom splint for seven months wow. to hold it uh, and sleep in it um, to hold it's a little dusty because I haven't been wearing it anymore um, <laughs> while the the joint completed its complete auto um, uh, fusion yeah. um, but I will tell you as somebody who otherwise has uh, an invisible illness yeah wearing this puppy um, totally changed my experience in the world as someone with a chronic illness because mm-hmm. it no longer became invisible. It became visible. Right. And the general public, when they see a woman in her early 30s walking around with this big thing in the Pacific Northwest, oh, did you hurt yourself skiing? Oh, yeah. did you do any number of things? Just Fun things that you probably can't do yes. because of your arthritis. And complete strangers, complete strangers would come up and talk to me and I'd be like, well, hello, a grocery store clerk. Let me tell you what made my work life very awkward Aww. for seven months. Oh, <laughs> In a way, I feel more. I feel really awkward when I have to prep someone to shake my hand when I don't have a visible sign. I'll just say like "gentle shake, please" or something. But when you have a visible sign, for me, it's at least been like, okay, well, I know they're not going to crush my hand because yes. they see it, yes. hopefully. But I can see how it would kind of re- maybe the fear would be that you're seen by them as kind of less capable potentially, or like invalid or something like. Oh, this person who has who was wearing this brace, what's going on yeah. with her? Is that what you were thinking? Yeah, well, it's just every interaction with a new donor, a new sponsor, yeah. a new volunteer became instantly about me and my illness uh, from the moment yeah. of meeting them. It, it was without fail every single person. No one ever ignored the brace, mm-hmm. saw me, and it just engaged as if nothing had happened. And so right. it was, it became so tiresome when the first emotion that anyone ever yeah. experiences or, or shares with you is pity. Yeah. I hated it. Oh. So it was, hi, nice to meet you. Oh, what happened? Oh, it's nothing. It's chronic. Is it usually my was my um, yeah. trying to move past it. And Oh, like carpal tunnel? No, not like carpal tunnel. It's rheumatoid arthritis. Oh, <laughs> you're so young. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was exhausting. 
Yeah, and he was trying, especially because this this isn't just a social interaction. This is you're trying to do a job. Like, your job is to turn their mind onto focusing on the wonderful work you're doing and getting them to donate rather than um, focusing on your your health condition. So that's that's rough. Your original desire was to go into the Peace Corps and do really adventurous work. So how did you funnel that interest after you got your diagnosis into the current work that you do? Yeah, um, I, I think I made uh, lemonade out of lemons pretty mm-hmm. well with, with that um, in that I um, ended up going to grad school for a master's in nonprofit management. Nice. So I could work on the administrative side in support of uh, the myriad causes I care about. Right. So international development, wildlife conservation, healthcare policy, yeah. anything. Um, I have now a uh, you know chameleon set of skills that I can I can move through any of those fields. That's awesome. Um, which I, which I do enjoy a lot. And so I having an administrative job, I. Um, I have not had to miss any work related to my wow. my RA. <laughs> when you were looking for jobs, did you have any? Um, did your rheumatoid arthritis affect the kind of things you looked for in a job or your interviews, or did you have any um, issues like s- disclosing, thinking about do I disclose that I have RA or not? Yeah, did that all go? I'm really glad you brought that up because it's a sort of passion, pet peeve of mine related to job descriptions, specifically regarding must be able to lift oh, yeah. X number of pounds yeah, in administrative jobs. I can tell you that that was on my current job description. And I can also tell you I've never had to lift X number of pounds. It's yeah. ne- it's almost never core to administrative work. Like, yes, you might have to pick up a banker's box pu- full of files once a year and there's always someone who can help you and so i i just i find those descriptions in uh or those particular bullet points and job descriptions to be incredibly Mm off-putting and especially when the poundage has been sort of inexplicably low or high uh relative to everything else you're reading in the job description it has put me off of applying to jobs in the past because I feel um, like beholden to disclose. I I can't do that because of X Y Z, which um, I don't think is is reasonable to expect me to have to disclose because right. I'd prefer not to until the point that I would need some sort of accommodation. And so I really just wish that that could be stricken from whatever form letters HR departments around the world are using <laughs> because I really hate it. <laughs> oh. Well, that totally makes sense. When you have had to talk about accommodations, um, do you have any tips to the audience about how to make you know, approach that conversation, or is it just kind of totally dependent on each person's unique? Situation? Yeah, I'm it's sure. It's sh- I'm sure it is. And my individual personality is tends towards diffusing awkward or tense conversations with humor. Yeah. Um, and that, and that works for me in my casual workplace, but it might not work for someone else. So right. if you're at a big company, I can imagine you might have to go to HR and make some mm-hmm. sort of formal request for special accommodations, whereas right. I can give one of my coworkers a shrug and be like, I'm not lifting that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And, and, and it's totally fine um, because... 
the vast majority of the world is oriented toward being helpful. So my husband and I were roommates before we... Oh, yeah! <laughs> before we were boyfriend-girlfriend, yeah. and then uh, husband and wife. And so he was my roommate when I was getting diagnosed. Wow, okay, so that is rare. So he, um, he, right, he and I met right when I got back from Madagascar. So he has oh. been with me through the entire journey in, in one way or another. And so he um, has a unique perspective yeah. on that. Um, I, I am sort of grateful that he didn't know me prior because I am different because mm-hmm. if you did know me prior, I'd be you know gallivanting around the globe and mm-hmm. um, have had a very different lifestyle than I have now. So um, that's been a blessing. Mm-hmm. It's also um, you know helped him in, in understanding exactly what I'm going through because he's he's seen the whole process. Um, a lot of it is is just sort of the the daily logistics of my physical limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, but we found our, you know, we, we uh, after now it's been, t- ooh, how long, 10, 11 years, 11 yeah. years together. Um, we, you know, we've, we've worked into sort of a flow of our division of labor of the types of activities that right. I do for keeping house and the types of things yeah. that he does. You know, he digs in the dirt and I dust, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, kind of logically divide the labor based on what you're physically able to do. Yeah, yeah, no, he has a strong caregiver instinct, um, to be sure, and boundless energy. Oh, it's helpful. uh, It is extremely helpful. So, yes, he's doing probably a lot more than his fair share of the work, but he has more than his fair share of the energy, so... (laughs) Yeah, I did want to ask about fatigue, because there's... uh, not always a lot of awareness about fatigue and you know some of the research i've read is that fatigue is the second hot, most important symptom to most patients with rheumatoid arthritis mm-hmm. after pain yet i have an amazing um, rheumatologist who i'm like obsessed with but we hardly ever talk about it because i actually didn't even know for a long time that it was related i thought i was just tired just yeah. from maybe the medication but have you uh, do you feel that fatigue is that you have fatigue you know related to your ra or yeah absolutely and but what's so weird about fatigue is is how intangible it is compared mm-hmm. to like you know uh, uh, pain yeah, yeah. pain <laughs> sorry is, yeah pain so in your face right um, I I hadn't been very aware of how fatigued I was until I went into remission during my pregnancy hundred percent similar yeah. and yeah. then I was like. Bouncing off the walls, skipping through fields, la-dee-da, being pregnant is the best. And all the other, yeah. like, moms in my mom groups are looking at me like, what is Yeah, they're like, pregnancy you? is so hard, and you're like, what? Like, I feel amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's the best I've felt in the last 11 years was when yeah. I was pregnant. So you don't realize what uh, a weight the um, fatigue is until it's gone, because it really is so sort of all-consuming it just resets your baseline it moves Mm -hmm. what normal is and for me anyway there is no um break from that i i'm it's on or it's It's, off it's not just like you go to sleep and then you feel better it's not like tiredness yeah it's much more it's global it's like you're i almost feel for me like fatigue feels like the cells in my body are just having to work harder to just do the most basic stuff yeah 
what about if you were comfortable sharing like family relationships like uh, with your own family, you know, talking about your diagnosis or, or friendships, has that ever been, has there been any um, highlights or lowlights from that, you know? Yeah, I of? would say the friendships, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really grateful for the support of my best friend. I'm still best friends with my um, high school best friend Aww, from, yay. from the Midwest. And so we still keep yeah. in close contact and, and she's been incredibly supportive the whole time. Um, as far as other adult friendships, that is something that is is hard for all adults, right? We're all mm-hmm. hyper-scheduled. We have all these competing mm-hmm. responsibilities of work and family and home. And um, it, it's hard to maintain friendships, period. But as someone who has to go to bed at like 8.30, yeah. 9 o'clock at night. We're on the same sketch. Yeah. We should hang out more. <laughs> yeah. Want to hang out at 7.30 tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It is. It's hard, especially with um, where the bulk of my uh, current friendships have come from, from work and grad grad school. Yeah, I'm not going out for cocktails, yeah. uh, and so that that is a bit hard. And I, I I struggle still to communicate with with my adult friends about how how they can, how we can still have meaningful friendships. Mm-hmm. If I can't do the activities they're otherwise inclined to do, like right, it's hard to ask for. Can we do this instead? I'm still right. working on that. That's definitely yeah. a, an uphill battle <laughs> for me, just personally. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to check out my latest courses and resources on myarthritislife.net. This podcast is brought to you by the Beginner's Guide to Life with Rheumatoid Arthritis, a four-week online education and support program that I created from scratch to help people with inflammatory arthritis learn everything they need to know to navigate the social, emotional, physical, and logistical challenges of rheumatoid arthritis and related diseases. The next group is going to start in August 2020. Learn more at myarthritislife.net or bit.ly slash arthritis course, all in lowercase. You can also connect with me on my social media accounts on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even TikTok. Check out the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you. 